All right, guys, welcome back to the Multi-Dimensional Journey podcast. This is your host, Ayahuasca Carr. And today, guys, we have an incredible guest. I'm super, super excited to introduce him. And I was just talking to him before we hopped on. I'm totally fangirl. I've been such a fan for so long, and I'm so excited for us to go on a journey today. I really have been calling in the energy of like our time together, and it feels like a a ceremony, so no ayahuasca required. Um, but yeah, our guest today, guys, uh, drum roll please, is Hamilton Souther. He's the owner of Blue Morpho Ayahuasca Retreats in Iquitos, Peru, and they also have online retreats as well. And he's also the author of so many incredible books, including Journey of One, The Mystical Secrets of Medicine versus Sorcery, um, The Mystical Secrets of Ayahuasca Part Two, uh, The Mystical Secrets to Money Magic, Creating Infinite Wealth and Success, and you can find all of his books on Amazon. Um, I just started reading a few of them a few days ago, so I'm really excited to talk about uh, your books, Hamilton. Um, and he's been featured on the Aubrey Marcus podcast, and he also has an awesome documentary on YouTube called Metamorphosis. That's how I first discovered Hamilton back in 2016. Um, and he's also the co-founder and co-creator of Web3, NFT, and crypto startups, including Liquid Earth, Landslide, and Full Stock NFTs. I'll leave all the links of Hamilton's uh, everything uh, below when we get all finished up here today. So yeah, first of all, welcome. We're so happy to have you here, Hamilton. Well, Ayahuasca Gart, thank you so much for having me on the podcast and thank you for the introduction. It's a total honor to be here. I'm super excited. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to um, get into the beginning of your journey because I'm just, I'm so fascinated with, um, you know, the prophecy that you that you came to, and everything that um, that came through with that. Um, and I'm also excited. I forgot to mention Hamilton will be singing us an Ikaro, guys at the end of this podcast. So you better listen to the whole thing and stick around because we're, we're going for it. So um, yeah, just like in the documentary, documentary uh, Metamorphosis, you know, I, I always remember this one scene where, you know, um, you were just like, in this point in your life where you weren't happy and you like had a conversation with your mom and you and you were like spoke she said speak to spirit give your life back to spirit and you were like i give it back i give it back i give it back and that sounded like it unlocked like some serious downloads a uh, mediumship even and then from there it sounded like yeah so just take us take us back to what i think you know correct me if i'm wrong it sounds like the beginning of everything that was about to unfold for the next 20 something years. Yeah, that's exactly how it went down. Uh, I gotten I just graduated from the university. And uh, a couple months before I graduated, like the whole life I had planned all fell apart. Right. So I had like this whole plan set up and everything fell apart. And my like greatest mentor died. And so it was like really gone. Wow, like yeah, just yeah. 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 So like right then. And so um wow. When he died, the the whole like post university plan just vanished, 
And so I was left in the situation. Like I didn't know where to go. I didn't have direction. I'd been planning this thing for years with him. And so it was just, it was just over. And I got to this really dark place. I had lost, you know, like the, the ground and the foundation of where I was going. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any other opportunities. And so I just got like, I didn't want to like die in any kind of way, but I was just over it. I was over ego. I was over the fear. I was over like the insecurities and stuff. And so I was talking to my mom about that. And she's like, oh, well, if you don't want your life anymore, just give it back to spirit. That's where it came from. And I didn't really believe in any of those things, you know, like I hadn't had these direct experiences or a frame of reference to be able to like, you know, relate. And so but I thought like, if you're going to do it, you have to do it for real, you know? And I really was at that like rock bottom place. And so I did turn to the wall and I, and like, I did start yelling at the wall. Like I give it back, I give it all back. And it hit this watershed moment. It was like something switched in my brain. This like, this like switch happened. And like this, like deep honesty just poured out of me. Like all the blocks I had been feeling were just gone. And like, it wasn't like lightning and the clouds parting and a voice talking or anything. It was just like silent. It was just absolute silence. But I felt like I had really done something so much so that I couldn't take it back. Yeah, it was yeah. like, I had actually done something. I had really given my life to spirit and yeah. I had no idea what the consequences would be. And in, oh my God. And, and I mean, all the way to this podcast today. Right. And, and so um, like incredibly uh, within 24 hours to 48 hours, I had had a full blown spiritual awakening, like full blown. I was seeing spirits. I was dreaming spirits. I was having lucid dreams. I was having out of body dream experiences in the dreams, I was conversing with entities and spirits. Out of the dreams, I was seeing entities and spirits. I knew that other people weren't seeing that. Yeah, yeah. Like I knew, so I knew it. Like I was grounded in normal reality. I had not taken any kind of substances. I was living actually a life of martial arts and sobriety at the time. And I knew that this was going on and, and I didn't exactly know how to relate to it at first. And so I turned ultimately to spirituality and shamanism to try to explain what was happening. And, mm -hmm. and it was, it was crazy because the shamanistic stories that I started to read were identical to the experiences I was having. Wow. Like identical. It was like, what was happening to me was what happens to people before they're called to traditional apprenticeships. Wow. And I was living in Santa Cruz, California at the time with my mom. I had no frame of reference for what was going on. Um, and it was, but it, these stories were just so compelling about mm -hmm. these different kinds of dream experiences and stuff that people were having. And so as I would read the books, they would also teach techniques in the books like, oh, here's how to do a trance journey or here's how to connect or here's how to do mm -hmm. a soul retrieval. And when I would read these stories, it was like I was remembering them. It wasn't like I was reading them for the first time. It was like something in me had changed. And I knew while I was, while I was reading it, what the people were talking about. And so I would be, I would be so like enthralled by that, that I would just get up from reading it and I would go try it. And when mm -hmm. I would try it, I would try it on myself. Right. It was like, oh, that's a trance journey. Let's do a trance journey. And I would go and do it and it would work. Like it would just work. And then that gave me like even greater, uh, you know, confidence in this connection that was developing. And then I got to this point where I just questioned all of it. And I mean, I remember I was driving the car. It was late at night felt like three entities were sitting in the back seat. Like it was a really intense story. And like, I finally just like thought back to myself, okay, this is crazy, but I'm going to talk to them. Right. And I'm just like, are you guys friends or foes? Like, let's just get yeah. this straight. Like, are you guys, are you guys okay? And they just say friends. Like, I just feel friends and I feel like calmer in them. And um, 
it was like, it was really amazing. I, it was about a 40, 45 minute drive where I was supposed to go. And it was late at night and it was like a dangerous road. And I didn't want to, you know, have anything bad happen. And so they told me, they're like, I'm like, well, prove it to me. And they're, you know, they're, they're friends. Mm. And they're like, okay, we'll show you something. They're like, look at the clock now. Don't ever go over the speed limit. So I knew that that should take like 40 or 45 minutes to get home. And I did exactly what they said. I didn't drive over the speed limit. Dude, and they said, when you get home, look at the clock. Don't look at the clock along the way. And when I got home and I pulled in the driveway, they say, look at the clock. And when I looked at the clock, 17 minutes had passed. Wow. Uh, wow literally wow. 17. So I thought like, okay, something's happened to my clock, right? Like totally rational. I get my keys. I go to the house. I open up the door. I go into the kitchen on the microwave. 17 minutes has passed. Like on the coffee maker, 17 minutes has passed. I go around everywhere, 17 minutes has passed. And I realized, like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like what has just yeah, happened? Yeah. Like, I went through some kind of like time warp or something like that. So that was at the moment where I started to gain like a lot more confidence. And so I started doing more of these journeys. And as I did the journeys, I started to talk to, you know, like quintessential spirit guides and power animals and stuff like that. Yeah. And I would just be in vision and I would see these, you know, beings and they would communicate back to me. And it was then that they told me I was going to go to Peru. They told me that there were other, you know, people waiting for me there. Wow. I would go for literally 90 days. And within 90 days, I would find the port, the place where I would apprentice. Um, like it was all laid out. And so mm. it was then that I started to organize the trip. And, you know, within a couple of months, I actually headed down to Peru to find this apprenticeship. And, you know, I ultimately found it. Wow, that was that was incredible. Just going on that journey with you. Um, so yeah, you started opening yourself up to non ordinary realities way before you ingested ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah, way before it. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. And like, you know, I'm just curious, because um, from from listening to your other podcasts and, and reading your books and just watching your documentary, like those are tools you sound like you actually you use a lot in ceremony, talking to spirit guides, um, having them guide you rather than you. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, you know, you learn a lot of tools, like the sacred plants are a method to be able to get into the trance. But once you're in a trance state, then you actually start to use all your tools to work. And the shamans or the medico vegetalistas never really work alone. It's like they have all these plants, but they know the plants also as energy and as spirit. Yeah. And so there was really interesting mythology, which like combines like in a Western mindset, what is our science? with mm -hmm. what is like mythology and belief and the yeah, idea of yeah. like Eastern philosophies, like energy, right? So they have like energy, spirit and science all mixed together and they don't like separate it all out. And so they just think that like all healing also includes spirit, right. all medicine practices include spirit. That's just the way that they think. And so there's like a ton of techniques that we learn about how to communicate with, you know, energies and entities inside the visionary space how we um, guide and direct them in the ceremony, how you remove them from people. That's like one of the main healing techniques is actually knowing how to open somebody up so that in their consciousness, you see all the different like spirits that are part of their consciousness and how to be able to filter and separate them. You learn yeah. how to invoke from all different realms. You learn how to navigate different kinds of uh, visionary realms that are like pretty repetitive. It's sort of like what the the landscape of the visionary realm looks like like is it in water or is it in outer space like is it like a vision like yeah. how the 
you know, the, the scene looks behind you. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Love that by the way. Yeah. So, thanks. you know, we, yeah, we do learn how to, uh, how to interact with spirits that way. Yeah. Wow. And like, um, so I'm just, I'm just even more curious, like, um, I have so many questions on here, but I already told myself we, we might go, we might take a turn. Right. So, um, cause a lot of people that I work with and just, you know, we'll get to the globalization of ayahuasca later, but a lot of people who are coming to ceremony, they don't have these tools, you know, they, um, and there's no judgment. They're, they're desperate for healing. That's why they're coming. And, yeah. um, so I guess, I'm curious because like my story is very similar to yours. I got opened up to um, trans states before ever taking ayahuasca. And that really helped me. Like I now looking back on it, I was like, fuck, if I didn't have that, I probably <laughs> would have shriveled up. I would have been yeah. like, fuck, what's going on? Rather than being like uh, more open to it, not as scared, you know? Yeah. So what are some books or tools like that people can go do today you know that can pick up today and start kind of practicing to protect themselves in ceremony to interact well not just in ceremony but start practicing in a sober state you know yeah i think a great book is a book called the way of the shaman by michael harner Yes. And it's like, it's a super beginner right over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a super beginner book, but it lays it out so well, right. It talks about ordinary, non-ordinary reality talks about, uh, you know, how to be able to go into a shamanic trance without using any kind of plants. Yeah. And I think for people to understand that we're talking about like a shift in consciousness that takes place and it's measurable in the brain. It's when your brain switches kind of brainwave that it's on and it goes into a theta state. It's called theta. And you can look at it through theta binaural beats and if you've ever yeah. heard shamanic drumming, like the Buffalo drum, where it's going like doom, 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 mm -hmm. doom. On that drum at 210 BPM, it creates theta binaural beats. So it's like yeah, an yeah. ancient technology that's like tapped into what we now think of as modern technology. And so that's like 50 to 100,000 year old technology about how to go into trance. So first learn how to go into trance and just be comfortable in that state, right? Just like, like basics, like just get comfortable, learn how to breathe. Because when you drink ayahuasca, it's going to like kick off adrenaline. It's going to kick off like all sorts of intense feelings, maybe like the most intense you've ever had. Right. Yeah. And so if that happens, you want to be able to ride that. And like you say, not all curl up and get scared and shut down. On the contrary, you want to be able to breathe, breathe through it, you know. And so yeah. I teach you breathing. That's actually really simple. It's a really simple breath. It's long and slow in. And then you hold it comfortably, just like super relaxed. And the idea is that on the end breath, when you're holding it, you're, you just allow the body to relax. And then mm -hmm. you just let out when you want to. And then you also just hold it when it's out until it's comfortable. And then again, yeah, you breathe in that same way. It's like really simple. You don't count. You just let the body naturally do it. Um, that works really well for helping induce the trance state and getting through the onset because yeah, what most yeah. people talk about is like the really hard part of ayahuasca is really just onset. It's like going from being in your normal state to being in the ayahuasca state. And then when people are in the ayahuasca state, like fully in, it's completely lucid. Yeah. Like you're super aware, you become hyper aware, your senses are all turned on. 
you know, and so it's really the onset phase where you have all the purging, where you have like the difficulties and stuff. And so that's the part where you just want to be able to breathe and calm yourself down, learn how to go into trance, understand what it is. You know, um, I think those are like really the the core basics to work with. And then like really positive, like you want to be really positive. So like be as positive as you can in the day beforehand. You want to get your brain thinking positively because yeah. you experience in your visions what your brain's doing. Yeah. So if your brain's being all negative, you're going to have a, a, like negative thoughts in your experience, right? And so we work a lot with the heart as like yeah. an energy center, you know, not just an organ that pumps blood, but an energy right. center. Yeah. Of love. And yeah. just to get deep with the heart during the day before the ceremony. And then, um, to relate because everybody experiences anxieties and stuff coming sure. up beforehand. What I like to say is that that's what you're already purging. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're going into ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. So it's already starting to bring it up. Yeah. So you don't have to wait for the, to drink the ayahuasca to actually start to release that. Yeah, yeah. So you just set your intention, like, let that go, calm down. More stuff comes up, let that go, calm down. And, you know, I've done this now for 22 years and honestly, the experience is the most trustworthy thing I've ever found. Most people are scared about it, but it's really getting over your fears and learning how yeah. to calm down. And it is the most consistent, most trustworthy, most repeatable. I mean, it's always different in, in what you experience, but like within the broad scope, it's yeah. always within boundary and reason. And it's always healing and helpful by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And so, so within that mindset, it's like, okay, trust the heart, trust your intention, get positive, know how to go into trance. So when you start feeling the trance experience, it's not overwhelming for you. And then just like be open to having an amazing time. And I also always tell people have fun. Like it's serious enough that you don't have to be, you don't have to be so serious because dude, it is serious, right? Like this is an unbelievably serious thing. So it's so serious. We can actually have fun. Yeah, we yeah. can be, we can have levity and lightheartedness. It's okay to laugh, right? <laughs> we purge through laughter. It's okay mm-hmm. to have like a joke in the middle of it. Like it's okay if that comes through, it's okay for spirit to be humorous, right? It's okay to, to, uh, to you know, like enjoy it, right? Like it can mm-hmm. be incredible experience. And then the final thing I think is um, really just be yourself yeah. because you can't hide anything from ayahuasca like dear dude, lord you don't even try hide anything like <laughs> yeah like it, your psyche will just open up yeah it'll just open up like a lotus flower like just get ready to be opened up you don't need to hide anything from yourself what you think is your subconscious and unconscious becomes conscious totally right it becomes you become aware of it you you're you don't want to block anything off just like let it open up and flow and just ask it to heal your mind ask it to heal your heart ask it yeah. to heal your spirit and your soul ask it to heal your body and, you know, then just have an amazing time because the visionary experience and the ecstatic states that you can go into are just incredible, like truly incredible. Yeah, this is, uh, yes, so many awesome things coming through. Yeah. So yeah, the way of the shaman, deep breathing, focusing on being in your heart center. Um, yeah, you mentioned a couple of things that I, I'd like to kind of go deeper with, which is one um intention and being being clear about that intention and i forgot to mention it 
at the beginning, you know, I mean, Hamilton, you've done over 4,000 facilitated ceremonies, if not more, right? Well, of ayahuasca, over 1,500, but of plant medicines, over 4,000. Yeah, yeah. So, um, mm. so Hamilton knows, like, you've experienced it, not just with yourself, <laughs> but you've seen other people go through yeah. seeing patterns in other people and, like, what works and what doesn't work and, like, all these things. So, um, I personally, in my own thought form in relationship with ayahuasca, I have felt that intentions like really important. So mm -hmm. I wanted to hear about your thoughts on that. And, um, I guess I kind of, I kind of wanted to like, not be so broad, but more specific, like setting a general intention versus like coming in with actual questions you want to ask her and then and interacting with the plant spirit and like um what are some things that you teach or coach people on or what have you experienced with going in there just like well i'm open to whatever happens versus like i i have this really strong intention i want to know about this specific thing about like my mom or my dad or in my lineage or what's my purpose or stuff like that you know yeah first of all intention is like the key tool yeah. So you can't underemphasize or overemphasize the importance of it. Intention is the tool. Yeah, yeah. Um, intention is how you get focused. And you got to understand that ayahuasca can move you faster than you've ever moved before. It can move your mind faster. It can make you think faster. It can make you feel faster at an amplitude that's just like completely, completely overwhelming, right? Yeah. So in that sense, you have intention and intention is what's going to keep you on course. Yes. And it's going to be telling the ayahuasca the whole time what you're really there for while your mind is doing a bunch of other stuff. Totally. Right. So I think there's a difference between your intentions and your reasons for being there mm -hmm. and your reasons for being there. Like, oh, I have a reason for healing and I have a reason for change and I have a reason to like check this thing out about my family or something like that. It's a little bit different than intention. Like the intention is like, I'm going to go through the ceremony. I'm decided to go through the ceremony. I'm going to stay centered in heart. I'm going to stay centered in mind. I'm going to receive from the experience. I'm going to, while doing that, go through all the reasons that I'm here. Like here's yeah, for yeah. my mother. Here's for my lineage. Here's what I'm healing. Here's the soul retrievals. Here's, yeah. you know, here's, uh, you know, because I was told to explore, you know, like whatever, like all yeah, the yeah, stuff yeah. you got going mm -hmm. on in your mind, just throw that all in. And then I think there's this, there's this intention that I like to share with people, which is there's this moment when you get handed the ayahuasca and it's now between you and drinking it, right? And you're about to drink this sentient plant, right? You're about to drink something that's conscious. Yeah. And there's something in your heart that you can't put into words that is deeper than the way that we speak. And I let the ayahuasca know that that's where my real intention is. So it's like, look, I'm learning how to form this in words. I've gotten pretty good at it over the years, but really deep inside of me is where it all is. And it's where the words come from. Wow. And so go there and get my intention from there. And let's do that because that's my truth. That's where yeah. my love is. That's where, I, that's where my soul is. That's where I'm like speaking in a way where I don't have any questions myself or any doubts myself or any mm -hmm. worries. Like, did I include everything? Did I yeah. get it all? Can ayahuasca do all of it at the same time? Does it have to do one by one? Like I get asked all these questions, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I just think like, like for your own mind's sake, put down all your reasons, 
set your intentions. Like I'm going to, like a good intention is I'm going to fulfill my reasons for being here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to take to fulfill that, but I'm going to fulfill that. I'm going to go on that journey. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be there the whole time and I'm going to have this experience. I'm going to fulfill all these reasons. And now ayahuasca, here's what's inside my heart. Like I'm going to drink it. It's going to go right by it. Energetically. It just goes right through your whole body. It's like, that's where I have my true intentions go there. It goes down to your feet. It scans you. It comes back up. It scans you. It goes into the heart. It goes up into the brain and then your visions turn on. And, And so while it does that, it's just like scan everything about me. And then I tell it like scan every cell, bring healing and love to every single cell, like heal the molecules, heal all the molecular balance in my body and my brain, like heal my brain chemistry, balance me out, give me whole brain function. Yeah. Like, like, like I want my brain turned on. I want it balanced. I don't want it to be like this hemisphere is more than that hemisphere. Or mm-hmm. I'm like dominated by the, the fight or flight part. Like, no, to reset my brain. Yeah. Like rebalance this thing. I want to be, I want to like, and then I like turn on my light. Like we have this light body. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, when the light body turns on all the stuff we've seen in Eastern philosophical art makes sense. Yes. Like the palm chakras turn on yeah, and the yeah. third eye turns on and, mm-hmm. and the, the column of light inside your body turns on. And so I tell like, turn on our light, turn on our yeah, light body, yeah. balance us out. And that's also a relationship between brain and heart and the rest of the organs. And so that also gets straightened out as well. So I give it those intentions and, you know, then that's going to bring healing. That's going to bring the connection with source. When that light body turns on, the crown opens up and with the heart open and the crown open source is possible to to access wow. and then you you get source and so you know those are the ways that we like to teach intention and then i tell yeah. everybody we're there to help you so people be mm-hmm. like that's overwhelming like yeah yeah i'm gonna drink this and probably like lose it a little like now i might not have so much composure right through right, this right. process so i say look that's why we're there that's why you have like a practitioner who knows how to hold this for you and then, you know, I share with everybody that my intentions are to fulfill everyone else's intentions. Yeah. So my intentions are that everyone's in a safe place, that everyone has a safe experience, that we go from the beginning through the end of the ceremony, and that it always gets better and better and better and better for everybody. And yeah. that I fulfill everybody's intention for being there. And that's part of the role that we have is to help people be able to do that. Yeah. Wow. I felt like, I felt like we just drank some together. <laughs> That was like amazing. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it sounded like really that moment where you're taking that cup um, to really drop into the heart and Mm. get out of the mind and like um, communicate with the plant spirit from that way. And then really being connected to how she's like traveling in you as you're ingesting her and like, um, yeah. And I love that. Like, um, there's so much that goes into a ceremony. I mean, you make it sound really easy. You really do. Um, and it's just, there's so, yeah, rooms. I'll just, I'm, um, I'm like trying to be okay with flow rather than looking at my questions over here. So it's like, um, rooms can get chaotic, like for real, for real, for real. Right. I've been in really chaotic rooms. Um, and I've been in really sweet, beautiful rooms and, um, there's nothing like the rawness of humanity in an ayahuasca ceremony. There really isn't someone's throwing up, someone's screaming, someone's crying. It's like, it's everything, right? So 
as a facilitator, you know, I've heard so many, you've already talked about it today. Like, yeah. So what do you like, take us through your process, like in, in chaos, like multiple processes unfolding at once. What's happening in, in Hamilton's and his guides? What are they like? What's the game plan? What are we doing? I think you're right. I mean, and, and you get into a ceremony and depending on what's coming out of everybody, it can get really intense. And so the first thing is that we always understand that that's normal for us, mm -hmm. right? Like think about like rush hour traffic and like being on an eight lane super freeway or something like that. And yeah. for like, if you just like got dropped there and you didn't even know how to drive, it would be psycho chaos. You wouldn't even know yeah. what was going on. Every little sound would freak you out. You'd be scared. You know, that those are very early on experiences. We understand that, okay, that's not normal for us. Like the guys I used to train with and I would, we would laugh that in the first 15 to 20 minutes of the ceremony, we called that commuting. Oh, that was us yeah. commuting to work. We're like, okay, we're in, the, we're, in the, we're in the commute phase of this. Like we're driving, you know, we're like in the spaceship, we're, we're going to work, right? And then we would open up into full vision and then that's when mm. we would be be in the space, right? So, it, you know, first is like, okay, I'm not going to react to what's going on in the room. Like you never yeah. react. Yeah, There's nothing yeah. to react to. That's the process of what's going on. I want to be understanding what's going on in the room and then I always want to be understanding what we need next. Yeah, yeah. Not, not reacting to what just happened. Like what's happening right now is, okay, someone could be screaming. Someone could be throwing up. Someone can be, you know, writhing. Someone could be going through their traumas and releasing and crying and having really intense emotions. All that can be going on at the same time. And it's like, okay, that's just the flow of the medicine. That's the flow of the process. So what does everyone need? And the way we we manage the room is through the ikaros and the different yeah. rhythms and the different breath work mm -hmm. by bringing in different energetic states. And the energies are both in the sounds of the ikaros and the rhythms, and it's also in the kinds of spirits that we're calling. Yeah, that we weave we weave through that. So if you if you get into an ayahuasca ceremony, you're going to see like this really incredible geometry. Yeah. It's like the air takes on shape and form. Like you start yeah. to see the air and the air starts dancing and moving. And, and then um, within that, you can get into like kaleidoscopic sacred geometry and like really intricate patterns and fractals and like all this like unbelievably beautiful stuff. And so it's like, we, we learn how to read all of that yeah. so that then mm. we, can we can scan the room and see what's going on. And it's in that is all the information and the patterns of what everyone's going through. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so into that, we interject through the ikaros different kinds of uh, energies. Like we study the trees, the medicinal trees of the forest will bring the trees and they're very grounding. Yes, they're very, yes. They're very mm -hmm. cleansing. Um, you know, if if things need to be opened up more and it's like there's dark energy, we call for different ways for the dark energy to be released. Mm -hmm. If light needs to be brought in, we call all different ways to be able to bring light in. If yeah. there are, if people have purged negative energies or entities into the space, we use different kinds of beings to be able to remove them. Like yeah. You can call a mother eagle or, um, you know, you could call an angel or something like that to be able to come in and actually remove those energies. And you actually will, will experience in the ceremony, like the room starting to get darker. And then all of a sudden it feels like it gets cleared out. We'll mm -hmm, bring in mm -hmm. wind to wind to clear out the room and like physical wind will actually blow through the space. I mean, it's it can be yeah, wild, yeah. right? Totally. And so, um, so we're we're kind of in this constant communication with everybody. We connect to the collective of the ceremony. We connect to each person's energy and spirit. 
because you always want to know if they're in a state where they need intervention. Like, do they mm-hmm. need help in that moment? Yeah. Like, like, like physical help or just like mental, you know, yeah, energetic yeah, totally. help. And then, and then, or is that just their natural process they're in? So like, are they actually okay? And from the outside, you might think like, no, they're not okay. But if you actually like could stop their experience and say, hey, what's going on? They'll be like, oh, I'm releasing this thing. Yeah, yeah. Or like, hey, I'm totally cool. You know, they won't even realize that from the outside, it might not look right. that they're in such an okay place, right? On totally. the inside of their experience. And so, um, you know, so we just like watch for those things. You'll also watch people get into like uh, looping patterns. Yeah, sure. And so mm-hmm. if they get into a looping pattern, you help them disrupt that pattern. Yeah, you know, yeah. All they need is to interject something because their mind's kind of like caught into a loop now. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can interject to help break that looping pattern for them. And then, you know, you kind of continue to go with the ceremony and then you open the ceremony up more and then you kind of calm it down. You open it up more, you calm it down. There are these natural waves to the intensity of the experience. Like wow. it'll get way more intense and then it'll like, it'll kind of calm down some. And then wow. during that time, I guide everybody to like ground from that previous experience. It's like, okay, we've mm-hmm. opened up more. Yeah. We've released. Now let's all come back together. Like, okay, we're all here. We're good. And I'm a little different than a lot of traditional practitioners that won't use any kind of verbal cues. They just, you know, we'll do ikaros. But yeah, I'll yeah. actually like to, I'll actually talk. So I'll say to I people, like, hey, we're okay. Yeah, like just yeah. checking in. You guys are doing great. Like this is yeah. okay. You know, hey, over there, that was just purging. Like yeah, if you yeah, heard yeah, loud yeah. noises, that yeah. was purging. And then I also always invite everybody, um, if they need to, to come up and sit right in front of me, because oh, so then nice. they can hear, they can hear my sound and not mm-hmm. be so like yeah. sucked into someone else's yeah, sound, especially if it's totally. like right next to them or, mm-hmm. or just a little bit away. So I'm just like, Hey, if anyone around you is distracting, just come up and sit up in front of me until that person calms down. Yeah. And if, if they sit in our field up in front, like the sound of the shakapa or the sound of the drum will just take over their he- like what they're hearing and paying attention to. And yeah. all the other sounds will be, you know, drowned out and wow. the ceremony just kind of continues and moves on. Wow. Yeah. I love that. I love, um, I love the verbal cueing, you know, I love, um, especially for people who are traveling, like, all across the country, right? To go, I mean, that's a whole journey in itself, right? And then to have the comfort of someone who speaks their language, you know, to be like, hey, like, and I I just, I really like that. And like, just a way to give people ways to feel more grounded and safe. Like when, yeah, like, like we were just talking about, it's, it's sometimes that fun. You're like, oh my gosh, just like, if you're the witness to somebody else's pain, and you're sensitive and in my experience like i'm just very permeable in groups mm. and i've really had to learn how to you know protect myself but it's like that's a lot so it's so nice like to me when i heard that i was like oh it's so comforting i'll just go sit next to hamilton everything <laughs> everything will be yeah, fine exactly. you know so yeah i love that wow i just like i feel like um yeah just things for taking us through that journey of like um being in the room and what it's like and and what it feels like um so i i had one of my questions and i'm not too sure if you can remember this but um what was your first experience like can you is it like pretty crystallized in there or is it kind of like a forgotten memory or what's 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 it like yeah uh uh-huh oh oh no i mean i remember that like like 
yesterday. I remember yeah. like five minutes ago. Like, yeah, tell us yeah, about it. No, it was so intense. Um, I mean, there was such a buildup to it, right? Like, because I was on this journey to find this apprenticeship and I keep yeah. getting this message that I have to drink ayahuasca and I don't really know what's going to happen. And uh, there was this whole like, like uh, I kept reading in this guidebook, like I kept being told, you have to find this guide. You have to find this guide. Like his name was in the guidebook. And mm -hmm. it turns out he's the only guide that guided out to where Julio was, who was wow. the main shaman who taught me. Right. And so that's the lineage that I got, you know, invited into was Julio and Alberto's lineage. Yeah. And so, um, you know, like, so there's just this buildup. And so I ended up like, find, you know, the guide, I ended up finding the guide, but through friends, it was like all synchronistic. Like the guide mm -hmm. picked me up at the airport, right? And we got on a boat and we went out. It takes 24 hours to get out there. Wow. And we picked up a shaman along the way and, you know, he seemed all right. And we went out into the forest together and I was the only one participating. And we went out and we collected plants together and we cooked together in the forest. Whoa. And we made wow. the ayahuasca ourselves, the two of us. And so there's this like huge buildup. And wow, wow. we, yeah. And then like, I'm on the edge of this river and the river's about 50 yards wide, but it's wide enough from the side to be able to see like the whole side of the forest. So I could wow. see like the river to the river bank, to the lowest plants, like all the way to the trees, to like the biggest trees up in the forest. And then there was like from there, the sky and the moon. And there's this like little A-frame uh, mm -hmm. thatched roof. And we were sitting on the ground on the dirt and he just like, pulls out the bottle and he whistles into it and he pulls out this like little plastic coffee cup and I'm just sitting there and the guy's sitting by the side <laughs> and he just says to me like look I'm not going to let you like run off and die in the forest that's all he tells me there there is no prep yeah there yeah that's no what that's why scene. I'm shaking my head and dude, I'm like nothing <laughs> no no dude. I'm in my early 20s he pours this massive cup a massive cup. And not only that, I think it's important to mention that I didn't know this at the time, but they had put an unbelievable quantity of Toei in it, oh, Angel Trumpet Vine, which is yeah. like mm -hmm. crazy more visionary than just normal ayahuasca and also like yeah. really toxic. So I didn't know that, you know? And so he oh. pours me this cup, like probably about six, six ounces of like honey, yeah. intense ayahuasca, uh -huh. like thick, intense ayahuasca, like honey. And I drink this stuff and I had like two really audacious thoughts. The first one was I hadn't been given enough when I had been given like so much I more than enough. I regret that one later. <laughs> I totally, what did I think that for? <laughs> and then the second one was like, I, it went in so well and like, mm. I didn't mind the flavor. It was earthy and I felt so yeah. connected. I was like, wow. why does anyone throw this up? Like it makes, doesn't make any sense to me. It feels so good. Yeah, I felt yeah. so good. And I just sat there. Wow. Like the first 10 minutes as like, as you know, it was nightfall and, and the moon was coming out and, and it was just magical to be in the forest at the, in this incredible wow. place. And then the shaman like pulls out the shakapa and starts playing the shakapa and I hear the sh -sh 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 sound uh -huh. and I start looking around me. And material reality just gets like pulled apart like taffy. Everything becomes sacred geometry. Yeah. Everything becomes dense. The forest looks like it's like 20 times its size. It's right in front of me. Like I hear every animal, the sounds turn on like a oh. cacophony. It goes like 6x, 10x sound. And maybe like 30 seconds had gone by, like for real. What, and I, wow. I think to myself like, 
if it doesn't get any stronger, I'll be okay. Like that was enough, right? Yeah, I could yeah, have just yeah. stayed there trying to take that in. Dude, <laughs> at 15 minutes, I started vomiting. And then I vomited for the next three to four hours straight. Like wow. you would go through wave after wave after wave. I I felt like like reality just vanished. I was out of body. Wow. There was this this vortex appeared and the vortex started to suck me through it. And as I would go down into the vortex, I would just start to go insane. It'd be like my psyche was just being ripped apart, pulled apart. And then wow. I heard a voice. Well, at first I had to vomit a lot and then defecate and then vomit. Like just yeah, out yeah, there yeah, in the jungle, yeah, yeah. just yeah. like, like it was coming out all ends. I was losing it. Like I was completely, yeah, totally. I thought I was going to die. That was not true, obviously. I had a lot of delusional thoughts during the first phase of onset. Like I was not prepared yeah. for what was about to happen. And then I, I just like started like, like I got this second of composure and I just like, what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, and yeah. I heard this voice say, do the work. And I responded back. What do you mean? Beep, beep, beep work. <laughs> Dude, like and just <laughs> into the vortex I went. Life became 50 to 100 strobe lights all flashing at the same time. Every single piece was a recapitulation of life. I had to purge every single thing that was coming through my mind. It was every single trauma, every single negativity, every single bad thing that ever happened. Everything that happened to me, everything I'd ever done, yeah. every interaction, anything that didn't go right, anything, no matter as minute, as small, anything as big. It was like nanosecond by nanosecond life. It didn't come in linear order. It was all mm -hmm. life at the same time. And it went wave after wave after wave after wave of that wave after wave after wave until I was finally literally dug into the ground every now and then, like I said, there are these waves. And it, when the waves would calm down, I'd be like a little bit more calm and I'd look around. This bush next to me had turned into a boar that was criticizing my performance the whole time from outside. Oh my god! It was gosh. like crazy. It was like straight up talking to me. And I'm like, you're a plant. How can yeah, you yeah, talk yeah. to me? And it looks yeah. at me and it goes, do I look like a beep, beep, beep plant to you? And I'm yeah. like, no. He goes, this oh is god. what I am. I'm just like, okay, just don't eat me. Yeah. <laughs> like, just don't eat me. And I look into the forest. The forest was bursting rainbows in all directions all the time, like exploding. The forest was exploding light, like the whole time. And wow, in wow. that light were, were animals. And so these massive, like 30, 40 foot wingspan hummingbirds, wow. they were jaguars. Uh, there were, there were just birds of all different other kinds. I mean, it was wild visions, just wild eyes, wide open, eyes closed, seeing exactly the same thing. And then back down into that vortex and then just life recapitulation, just mind stuff, purging emotional stuff, just coming out, finding forgiveness, finding release, finding healing. And then wow. I'm finally like, I'm dug into the ground. I'm covered in mud from the sweat. Like I can't even move anymore. I can't believe I've survived to that point. And, and I think to myself, like, I can't, I, there's something more in me and I don't have it in me to purge. I, I can't, like, I don't have enough energy. Mm -hmm. And at that point, that's the only time the shaman came and helped me. He comes up over me and he blows mapacha smoke over me three times. <laughs> this huge clouds of mapacha <laughs> smoke. And I just feel this wretch coming inside of me. And it was like hands collapsed my stomach and they start walking up my esophagus like this slowly. Wow. Like hands just crushing me yeah, from the yeah, inside. Yeah. But I feel something moving. It gets lodged in my throat. I feel my throat expand. It can't come out. My jaws unhinge. My head tilts back like this. My mouth gets about this big around. And this lump as big as a lemon comes out. That's this gelatinous physical object.
that wow. is pulsating neon green and like yellow neon green, this light, it comes out onto the ground. I'm looking at it eyes wide open. It's out of me. It is like, like I have been saved. It is like my life wow. has been saved. The object starts to disintegrate in size and starts to come down into the ground, but it's still like pretty big. And, wow. and at that point I get sucked into vision. The vortex goes away. This opening happens above me. This ascension takes place. I just start rising, 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 rising into this place of absolute beauty. It has every single color that I ever knew about and had never seen before. Like literally yeah. billions, billions of colors, wow. billions of colors inside it. And there's every spirit of every person I had ever come across or met in any way, shape or form, including just random people I passed at the supermarket or anything. I had like oh. every memory was open up again to just random faces and people that I'd like passed in traffic, like never even having a real interaction with everyone was in there. Wow. And there were all like all these angels were in there and all my guides were in there and all the plants were in there and ayahuasca were in there. And they all just said to me, like, you found your apprenticeship. You made it. This is your apprenticeship. It starts here. And, and I just thought to myself, like, there's no way, like, there's no way. How can this be wow. my apprenticeship? Like, how do you go from that? to you know being able to manage uh, like that experience like i couldn't even fathom and uh i just realized at that moment that there was just going to be so much more to learn you know yeah. so more, to, more to go through so that was that was my first ceremony that was about five hours of intensity it was amazing wow i feel like i feel like i got a contact high like that was amazing <laughs> that was amazing yeah just um and it sounded very celebratory at the end. It sounded like at you were rewarded. Yeah, thank God, right? For it all was. It was fantastic. Work you did. Yeah. No, it was incredible. Whew. It was like you did it. You you yes. knew you were coming for your apprenticeship, but I didn't know I had to get all that out. Wow. To be able to get in, right? Yeah, like totally. I had, to get, I had to totally cleanse myself, and the ayah just came, and it was like, all right, in the first night, you're gonna just all in one night, we're gonna get this done, and you're yeah. gonna get brought into our world. Wow. And then I was just in, then I was just yeah. literally in the world of ayahuasca. And, you know, that started then the apprenticeship. Yeah. And you, yeah. I mean, you totally have dedicated your life and your soul to this path, you know, and even in your, um, your book, the, the one you just came out with talking about like the, the discipline that this path requires. And like, like you said, do the work, like it really, um, is not, it's not a quick fix. It's not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's just, there's so many things swirling in my mind, but, um, I guess like kind of speaking to the, the globalization of ayahuasca, cause you came into it in such a way that, um, was really tied to the roots of it, the lineages, um, and the way that I've, I mean, I didn't come into ayahuasca like that. I came into it in a completely different way. Um, and which was great, you know, and I guess what I would like to speak to is like, um, do you feel like there's a disconnect with like how Westerners, we just go to, um, these ceremonies and then like, we come back home, but like, we're not even there's no immersion for months there's not usually unless someone signs up for one by the way but um not these master plant dietas that most people are choosing 
they're usually going to like a few day or week long retreats um, and then coming back home. I'm not saying either one is good or bad, but just like it's a different, it's a totally different experience, right? Yeah, I, I look at it that way. You know, I think that what I did was a very traditional form of apprenticeship and very few Westerners are allowed to have that experience. And then over the years, as like the neo-shamanic revolution happened, which really popularized the practices around the world and then also allowed them to be, you know, changed and modified and altered based on different cultures and where people were coming from and, and what they knew you know, that turned ultimately into like the psychedelic renaissance that's happening now. Mm -hmm. And that's even like one step more removed, right? Now, now you're getting so much more even experimentation, microdosing yeah. of all different kinds of plants and stuff like that. And so what I thought was like, it, it's not one's better than the other and not one's right or wrong, but they are like two separate things. And, yeah, yeah. and we don't need to compare them. It's like, there's the traditional indigenous way that has a lot to teach. And then there's this whole thing that's going on in the world now that has real potential benefit, like tremendously yeah. positive benefits for mental health and well-being, treating yes. mental illness, people to have rites of passage experiences and to grow up and mature more, yeah, um, yeah. natural developmental processes, the abilities that they're finding with different visionary plants to be important in brain development. Yeah, Like these things are all really important if we can do them safely. Yes. Right. And yeah. if we can't do them safely, then we have a huge problem. And so I've yeah. actually really embraced that concept that what we learn in the indigenous traditions is how to be able to do this safely. So let's take that information and knowledge and let's get that out there yeah. and let's get that into the hands of everybody. And so we're mm -hmm. actually creating the Blue Morpho Academy to standardize the teaching around this. Oh, so this is exciting. Have, yeah. So we can have online courses that can teach the information that can be done online. We can yeah. have the retreats and then we can also have immersion. And wow. so- for the immersion, we're converting our lodge where we worked for the last 15 years into a diet center where people can come and wow. do dieta yeah. and they can learn and get healing from dieta. And then they can also diet different master plants. And if they want to train in it, they can then have an experience where they train and learn how to integrate back home because they're going wow. to be sitters or coaches or facilitators or practitioners at different levels, you know, wow. like, like in their own home life. And so then- amazing they can start to share like legitimate information that has lineage backing and has, you know, thousands of years of practice backing behind it, understanding why it works, but now tailored for Westerners. Yeah. So let's, let's figure out integration plans that work in the Western world. Let's yeah. Figure out totally. How to have these experiences and then be able to go back to work and have it be a positive thing. Absolutely. Let's, you know, let's train people in the integration arts so that, you know, if you are having a difficulty emotionally after one of these experiences, you can get counseling support and help that's tailored to someone who's had these kinds of visionary experiences. And yeah. then we can create our own culture around this that actually is safe, professional, and really helpful and positive. And I think that that's where this is headed anyway. And so yeah. that's why that's why we're creating and developing now the Blue Morpho Academy. I love that. Yeah, I'll definitely, uh, I'm personally interested in that. So I'll definitely be checking that out. And I love the um, expansiveness, the vision of the future, um, you know, seeing, seeing humanity 20, 30, 40 years down the road. You know, I, I've noticed that just, you know, listening to on podcasts and some of your talks and stuff like that, just, um, and that, that makes me think of, one of another question I had just like um so 
like entrepreneurship, some of the things that you're doing now, was that in the deck of cards or was that something that like, was that assignment that you kind of uncovered within the ayahuasca space or I don't know. I don't even know how to answer the, or ask the question, but I was just curious about that. I'm like, well, how did that come about? Was that always something you wanted to do or has that unfolded because of your path with ayahuasca? Yeah, I mean, really all the interactions I've had with business and entrepreneurship has come through, you know, my work with ayahuasca. I needed, yeah. it started, I needed a way to be able to support myself in the Amazon. And yeah. so I started with tourism and jungle adventure tourism and stuff like that. And that naturally became Blue Morpho as an, a medicine center when people started hearing about the medicine experiences and deciding they wanted to do that instead of going on a trek, right? Mm -hmm. Then people started to go and have those experiences and they started to get healing. Yeah. So people who are going to go on a trek also had depression and anxiety. And then they came out of the ceremonies and they didn't have depression and anxiety anymore. And they went home and they started telling people and that started to, you know, bring people down. And then, uh, writers started to come down and write about their experiences and stuff like that. And then we started to get global publicity and that's kind yeah. of how like the business side of it got started. Um, you know, once that happened, then all of a sudden I found myself running, a real business, which, yeah, yeah. which wasn't like also what I was learning. So I learned that on the fly. I found yeah. mentors, I found coaches, I found people who could help me, you know, who had were older than me because I was in my early twenties. Yeah. And so, you know, I got the experience that way. And then um, what really grew out of Blue Morpho, which is really exciting is the community, right? I didn't think when I first started that ultimately we would have people from all over the world. Like we've had people from over a hundred countries, wow. you know, people from all over the States from 48 to 50 States have been down and, and they were from all walks of life. Many of them were entrepreneurs, CEOs, founders of companies, you know, others were, uh, you know, musicians, others were tech people, coders, and they were into tech and other people were finance people and other guys yeah. were historians and teachers and professors and some people just had families and they were looking for ways to better themselves in their own personal life. It was like everything, right? Mm -hmm. And we would get together and have these like unbelievably intimate groups where people would open up in a way that they never normally would and just share what was going on in their lives. And yeah. so I got to learn about all the stuff that was going on in the world through the guests. And as that started to happen, like a core group of us started to think, like we want to impact bigger problems in the world. Like we would, mm -hmm. we want to impact like really big problems. Like we've done this amazing thing with the plant medicines and we got that going now on a global level and that's making ripple effect and positive yeah. change, you know, for so many people. And we were a group of, I don't know how many people, but you know, less than a hundred people in the world at that time that got that going in the early two thousands, you know? Yeah. And so that was like a big movement that we were a part of help creating and it was like, well, we want to create more movement. And we started to look at like, how do we do that? And so the first problem we decided to try to tackle was what we called the starving artist problem, yeah. which were creators all around the world that are actually struggling to have enough money to be able to keep creating when we thought that creativity and creation should generate income. Like Absolutely. it is its own yeah. form of value and wealth that's being provided into the world. And so, you know, we got... Scientists involved, mathematicians, uh, physicists, finance guys, CEOs, founders, musicians, uh, physical artists, digital artists. We got them all together and we started to, you know, a think tank around like, how can we actually affect the starving artist problem? And as we looked at the different ways to go about that, 
we realized that the best way would be business. Mm-hmm. That if you can just offer people a better way to make a living, then that will grow itself. It's not yeah. an NGO where you have to like raise money through, you know, fundraising, et cetera. Like you don't have to convince somebody why it's a good social mission. It's sure. like, actually, this can just fit into the economy. It can fit in within regulation. It can support people around the world. And so that's what got us yeah. into like, you know, technology. And it was like, okay, how can we use technology to be able to do this? And then like at the time, this was 2016, 2017, that's right when the blockchain technologies were coming out in like a pretty big way. And so, um, you know, we were looking at them as a form of technology and how we could implement it to be able to impact first the starving artists. And then another group of innovators and I got together and it was like, well, how can we uh, impact this question around affordable housing? Yeah. Like, how can mm-hmm. we help people in housing? Like, Everyone needs a house. Like everybody right. needs shelter. Yeah. Like shelter is a primal thing that truly everybody around the world needs. And as the world expands, like a lot of the first world has figured out how to do shelter really well, but the developing world, which is where the majority of the population is ultimately going to be, you know, expanding in the next 20, 30, 40 years, yeah. doesn't have that like fully figured out yet, you know, and that's yeah. where I've spent my adult life living. And so I was like, okay, we need to uh, impact housing and how can we, you know, ultimately impact housing. And so we got into a project around that. And then I got really interested in this idea that we were part of consumer economies. And so you have all this stuff, you know, but now all your money that you worked so hard to make is now locked up in all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what can we do about that? How can we ultimately help people, you know, liberate some of the cash that they have locked up inside their stuff. And so that got us into finance. It got us into, you know, real estate and housing, and it got us into art, creativity, media. And so I developed, you know, these three projects in in those realms, really looking just to how we could support people. And, you know, at the beginning, it, it was one of those things where, you know, you have a good idea and then you find out how hard it really is to develop sure, these things in totally. the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's been a journey in its own right. Uh, but we're there. I mean, we've been totally. in, from the beginning to now has been four years. And wow. um, in the last two years, we've actually been, you know, coding the platforms, developing the platforms. And wow. in the next two months, the platforms will be ready to go live. And it's an unbelievably exciting time. It is. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for taking us through that journey. So I saw Liquid Earth looks like it's live. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. The Liquid Earth site just went to mainnet, which is, you know, it's awesome. It's going to be a way that people are going to be able to um, basically buy, trade, sell real world assets through a digital form. And so a smart contract sits behind the asset and it'll allow us to be able to trade assets instantly across the world peer to peer amongst people so if you had you know a watch or you had shoes or you had uh, an antique or you had a piece of art and you wanted to actually be able to sell it in a digital form to somebody else you'd be able to you know mint that on our platform uh, you'd be able to send the asset to a warehouse where the asset would stay and then you would be able to trade that to somebody else and when the the digital token or the nft trades hands you actually become the owner of that thing, you know, and then if you wanted it from the warehouse, you could call it and get it shipped to you. Or if you wanted to keep it there and just have a collection of these, you could, um, you know, and then you could also use them inside web three for different finance reasons. Like you could get a loan against it or something like that and get some of your money back. 
Um, Or you could, you know, stake it in a platform potentially that could provide some kind of income for you. So, you know, there are different applications of how these things can ultimately be used. And really the goal was just like, look, help people have more money, help people have affordable housing and help all the creators of our world, you know, get more value for this incredible creativity that they're getting from inside them. Yeah, just amazing. And I'll leave, I'll leave all the links to at least the liquid earth and then the full stock and the landslide those are still waiting for to go live or are they live well full stocks right now in testing it goes live okay. probably next month so okay yeah, cool a link to full stock too yeah it's really exciting full stock is about the creators and so mm-hmm. it's a, a way for creators to be able to take their digital content that they're making of all different kinds and be able to sell it and then be able to receive uh, royalties on it forever And then people who buy it can use it and then they can sell it and they can recoup their money. So this is a way that people can pass content between each other in a non-exclusive way. You get the rights to be able to use it either in perpetuity or exclusively while you have it, you get that choice on the platform. And then you can use, you know, all the digital mediums to be able to create digital art and digital media that can be used for advertising. It can be used for branding. It could be, you could create templates, you could uh, create video, you could create, um, you know, still images, anything, literally truly anything. And the idea is for creators to get super creative, like find value. Like you guys create the value. We're going to give you the tool and uh, you don't have to pay us anything. We get a portion, a small portion of the trade fee as it passes. And it really is a, a thing where you'd sell your content to other businesses that can get use out of it. And you can sell IP, you can sell monetization rights associated with your content. And so this way a creator fully unlocks the monetization value without having to go to a label, without having to go to a, a third party, without having to give any of it away. You wow. get your you get your fee. And then as that content trades hands, you get 10% every time of wow. the total cost of the content. So wow. if you have an image that sells for a hundred dollars, right? A hundred thousand times. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. And a million dollars come through that. You're going to get, you know, $10 million in revenue. You're going to get a million dollars from having created that. Wow. And wow. that's just going to come to you and it's going to be auto deposited. All the accounting because it's on the blockchain is transparent. So you wow. don't have to trust anybody involved. You know, it's, wow. it's, a, it's a really incredible way for digital creators to be able to provide content of real value. It's a way yeah. for businesses to be able to get, you know, bespoke content for their own content factories. And this will allow all different kinds of graphic designers and artists around the world to be able to finally really, you know, make a living from their art. Yeah, this is so many, so many incredible things. Thank you so much for everything you have done for our world, you know, all the way from your centers and creating experiences and opportunities for people to really heal deeply and then also with all your online stuff that you're doing with blue morpho um and just everything this is this is amazing yeah i just really appreciate you sharing your story today um i wish we had another two hours (laughs) and we could go even deeper but definitely hopefully some part two in the future um and yeah did you want to share an e-girl with us to close hamilton sure yeah. Sure. All right, give me a
Quan bossi daimi hai na nai. Wow. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Hamilton. That was so beautiful. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, too. Yeah. Try to gotta get out of it. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your wisdom and your courage and just your incredible heart and how you know you're ser serving so many different people and just helping so many different people. Just it was really really awesome just going on this journey with you today. Um, yeah, do you want to leave? our listeners with any um, last words or I don't know, just anything that you want to share from your heart? Yeah, I just would share with everyone to love yourself. Like you're a miracle to me. There's no explanation for us in this entire universe other than source. And every single one of us is a unique miracle. Just in your own existence, not because of anything else. And celebrate that and love yourself. And you know, give yourself everything you can in this life. Trust yourself, believe in yourself and, you know, do your very best and just keep following that path of heart and follow your own inner love and follow your passion and your life will unfold for you. And it's a beautiful journey and it's hard for all of us at different times, but don't let that get you down. And if you need help and mentorship, find it, it's out there and, you know, stay courageous along this path and love it because it is a true miracle. Oh, yeah. Wow. Thank you, Hamilton. Thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners for going on this journey with us today. This has been the Multidimensional Journey podcast with the awesome guest, Hamilton Souther. I'll leave all his links to his books, Blue Morpho, everything that we talked about today below. And we'll see you guys next time.